Welcome back to Demo Jockeys. I'm Jack Cochran. And I am Adam DiTomaso. We're continuing our conversation this week with The Storytelling Animal by Jonathan Gottschall. We're actually going to be picking right back up from where we were last episode because, Adam, we didn't finish our conversation this no. last week. We did, no, definitely we did, did not. not. But before we hop into it, I do want to mention if you are wanting to stay on top of the books, this is our book we're going to be reading in the month of December range by David Epstein. I'm super excited about this one. Um, and uh, so please make sure you tune into that. Also, next episode, we got a special guest joining us. We've got Matt Madden from the Path to Presales podcast. Woo. I'm very excited about that. If you've not checked it out, please do check it out. You might find me on an episode there. Just that nice little plug. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fantastic, especially if you are uh, if you are looking to get into presales. He talks with people about how they got to where they're at in their career. Fantastic podcast. Recommend checking it out. Absolutely. Really, uh, I'm a big fan myself. But um, yes, please check it out and learn how to jump into the wonderful world of presales that both Jack and I have made a very long career at. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Adam, last time we were talking about mirroring and we left off, I think, talking a little bit about giving too little or too much in a uh, in a story in order to help kind of drive the right level of stickiness in someone's brain, but also someone pulling the right conclusions. In the book, there is a section around, oh, if you got the paper copy, uh, around page 104, 105, and he talks about this animated video, this animation that was done by psychologists from 1944. You can find it on YouTube. It's the Hyder and Simmel animation. We'll link to it in the description if you want to go that way. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, it's a minute and a half long. Pause it, go watch it, come back. Okay, welcome back. Um, <laughs> it's going to make so much more sense now. <laughs> it will make so much more sense when we get in this conversation because it's such a simple thing. It's a box. It's three triangles. And I drew a different conclusion to the story from what Jonathan drew. And, and Adam, I think you and I were, we were talking about it before, you drew a different conversation than I did watching this video. Yeah. I got to this part of the book and I, I started, I, w I was, you know, and I was like, the, the interesting kind of what brought me to this section, you know, obviously our, our hunger for meaningful patterns turns into a hunger for a story. And it was all, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, meaningful. I, I'm like really into it. And I got to this and I got to this video. I got to this explanation of this video that you just, you just described. And I read the author, um, you know, I read what he wrote about it. I read, I was like, I, and I watched the film and I, my immediate reaction was, eh, no. <laughs> Just from a, what, 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 no to what? What was your, no to his reaction or no to the video itself? No to his reaction and no to hit the video itself. I mean, basically what he, what he had said was the point is this beautifully illustrated an experiment by psychologists, uh, Fritz and, uh, I'm going to name I fortunately cannot pronounce and I don't want to butcher it. But their research, they made this short animated film. And it was the idea was that is he saw in this simple film of a triangle moving around with another triangle in a circle in a big box, this epic battle and this epic journey and this epic 
like he his mind filled in all of the gaps uh, that he needed to create this story that was extremely entertaining for him and he enjoyed watching it and he enjoyed consuming it and he found it to be very he found it to be brilliant but to me I didn't see that and it's to me I think is the story was boring it wasn't anything that I was interested in and it didn't inspire me to fill the gaps if that makes sense interesting I certainly filled the gaps when I watched it, but as I was watching it, I was literally going, you know, there's like three or four interpretations I could make out of this story, so to speak. I went into it thinking someone's trying to tell me a story through these shapes because they're moving around. Anytime you see animation, I'm going, all right, you're trying to tell me a story, which is interesting because that's assumption number one. (laughs) Yes. Because maybe these shapes were all going to come together and build a word. But we made an assumption because we saw moving shapes. We started assigning characters that the moving things were people or maybe the moving shapes were animals. Maybe like, but there's so many interpretations you could make. Was, was this guy a bully? Was, you know, there's, there's a lot of interpretations of this that you could make. But the, for me, what I found interesting is I found meaningful ways I could make the connections one way or the other. I wasn't making any judgment about it being boring, of course. I mean, it's a little experiment animation from 1944. I'm not going to find it entertaining, which is, I'm not going to find it artistic (laughs) or entertaining. But can I make a story out of it? Yeah, I can make about three or four or five stories out of it. Which was funny because it's, there's nothing there. But I can make three or four or five stories out of it. That's really weird. But that's that's kind of the point, and I think it, it, it you know you, you hit on one thing, and I and I and I don't want to glance, glance over it. You said I, I saw animation, and I was looking for a story. I said, I mean, I would look at it differently. When I looked at it, I saw animation, and I was looking to be entertained. Mm. Yeah, two very different approaches to it, right? Two very different right. approaches, to, which will impact how you then view anything being presented to you. That's an interesting point. Because if someone is showing up at a meeting, what their disposition is going into hearing your conversation, if we're drawing this back to sales, and you're starting to talk, if someone is approaching it thinking, I want to be informed, or I want to be impressed, or I don't want to be here, how you view what's being talked about as a person sitting in that meeting is going to be different experiences from everyone in the room regardless of what you what story you start to tell. Right. And that's actually gets back to tying it all together and having the sense to kind of tie all of our conversation together here is when you're telling a story in a meeting, you have to make sure that you're telling it in an effective way that engages all parties in the room. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that and I think this this experimental video is a great example of how um it was a story that not was not really meant for all parties in the room and not everyone got it. And I think there was some crazy percentage of 90% of people were like, this is ridiculous. And 10% were like, this is amazing. So and I may have just made those numbers up, but the point is, sounds good to me. I believed it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But even if it was 50, 50, that's a prime example of telling of, of using media or using your own words, explanation of telling a story that actually is not, really what everyone wants to hear and there's a difference between telling a story and giving a report well and also from a sales perspective hitting 50 50 hitting 75 25 even on the good side of that that's not good enough right you don't want to be telling something that 
leaves the value of what you're talking about so open to interpretation. Now, the, the there is some interesting parts about the book where uh, you mentioned it briefly, The Hunger for Meaningful Patterns. Effectively from the book, people like to find a connection between relevant ideas and concepts. Mm-hmm. And so the, the we don't really need, the point of the book is we don't need to over-explain. Just like with the shapes, the triangle, we don't need to over-explain a concept. People will draw the connections uh, for within your story. But also there, there's a section on page, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick, uh, 109. If you're reading the book, look for the Black Knight from Monty Python, you'll find it. Uh, it's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh wound in that section. It's actually titled that section. Uh, psychologists are finding that ordinary, mentally healthy people are strikingly prone to confabulate in everyday situations. Our story basically saying that he says our storytelling minds run amok. We healthy people, it's how we're wired, it's what we do. We'll take a situation, we'll take the evidence, and we'll draw lines between them that make sense to us without realizing we're doing it. And we'll call it as fact as something that actually happened. And so if I'm in the room, and if I'm telling a story akin to the triangles, the circles, and the box, and that's the level of detail I go into, people are going to confabulate everything else. And I think that's where it gets dangerous because you don't want people confabulating the important parts of your story. (laughs) You You need to be driving that. But again... You want to do that without over-explaining. Exactly. And, I mean, again, that's like, imagine imagine your montage. Back, back to the last episode, we we talked about montages and how really when if you look at your story as a sine wave in that montage, you don't want it to peak too high and you don't want it to dip too low. It's finding that nice, happy, medium sandwich area, if you will. Think about a sandwich um, that you keep your story in, in the graph, that will attract all be acceptable to all parties and everyone will get your points. And that's, mm-hmm. and just to kind of think about this example in Jack, this is how I'm interpreting what you're saying. When I, when I, and I'll give you an example. When people leave the meeting, when I just made a presentation, I want the business executive who is the C level, the VP person to say, this is X, Y, Z concept that Jack covered and I get it. And I want the IT person to look at that VP and go, yeah, you're right. I got that concept too. And and now they have a mutual understanding of what you delivered, which means that you kept your montage right, you kept your story straight, and you were able to deliver the same point to both parties who are looking at it from very different perspectives. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the idea that you need to make sure that your points – that you want people to walk away with are well stated, mm-hmm. but that you allow people to draw their own conclusions within their contexts where it doesn't matter how they draw those lines. You need to lay out your map, your path from point A to point B while allowing enough cognitive activity to happen to allow things to cement. I think one way that we can do this really well in meetings is actually using a whiteboard to tell our stories. We love slides because they're easy to do, they're easy to pull up and click through. The problem with the slide is you've got a finished product, right? Unless you get really creative with slideware and then you're guaranteed to have something not work right. <laughs> but you don't you don't have the ability to have kind of an open-ended conversation where people are 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 made, are made to think. Cuz what happens when 
you stand up in a meeting and you start drawing. As soon as you make the first mark on the whiteboard, if you're if, if we were in a room together and I'm starting to draw, the first thing you're doing is trying to figure out what's he drawing? <laughs> yeah, it's Pictionary. As you start to make lines, you want to be, have that, you want to get to that moment of, oh, I know what he's drawing as quickly as possible. They just, we as humans are wired that way. We want to seek understanding in, in disorganized patterns that the book's all about this. So if you're drawing on the whiteboard and you're drawing in a way to kind of draw people to start to draw those conclusions, you're opening up the ability for them to make those connections, which are going to make what you're saying memorable. But you got to make sure you draw out the points you want to make and don't leave those open. So whiteboard's a fantastic way to do this, which unfortunately in our Zoom culture, we've gotten away from doing. But Miro boards using, you know, the actual screen drawing, there's ways you can still do it, which I think are extremely valuable the more you can find a way to do it in your meetings. And there's another benefit, too, because it's, well, first of all, it's live storytelling. But it's action-based. When you're doing it in the Zoom, you're drawing that line. People are going to be naturally, their eyes are going to focus on what's moving on the screen. So oh, there's yeah. a line moving on the screen. People it's love movements. It's not, not just yeah. people with ADD anymore. It's everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, in presentations when I'm on site, I typically stand up because oh, yeah. of that very reason. Because I'm moving and I'm, and when you do that, you're making people look at you and focus on you, which in turn makes people listen to your stories and points. I mean, you got to keep in mind, Adam, there's a lot of people who are probably listening to this, this show who are new to pre-sales within the past three years, who've never done, who don't have as much of an opportunity to do what we got used to doing earlier in our careers, which was you had an on-site once a week. You were yeah. in-person presenting. And you learned how to draw people's attention, which was standing up, which was um, making Arm points waving. and gesturing, right? Um, at, at building into your presentation that movement element or drawing something or uh, you know, sitting strategically at different parts of the room to cause people to have to. I mean, if you don't need that one, right? Like you sit here, I'm going to sit here. That way when you're talking and then when the other person starts talking, everyone's turning to look. You're You're making them have movement it's all part of what draws in that we've lost with this zoom culture which is where you're going i'm staring at the camera for nine hours today <laughs> i haven't moved <laughs> yeah you you know you make a good point and um but i i, I like to think that the zoom culture is not ending but it's we're still going to start to get back to in person even more and more. I, I know, and I know, I have been mm -hmm. recently. But I mean, it, and for but, but, another but good video point, conferencing is going to be a new norm because there it, are a lot is. of with with remote or hybrid offices. Often, you don't have an opportunity to go on site because you could go to one of their offices, but they they all ninety percent of the people aren't in that office. Right. That's that's all a very good point. So I mean, I think it's the addition of just again, cameras are helpful. Because you can make sure everyone's looking at you. Two monitors are helpful because you can see everybody still looking at you mm -hmm. and not looking down at their phones. But I also think bringing back the whiteboard to the PowerPoint, that's something I have done. And it's easier than you think. A mirror board works great. There are even paint. I used paint I don't know how many times. Yeah, I've had people say, are you using paint? And I'm <laughs> like, yeah. And it, But it works, I said. And I'm... Uh, it, my diagrams look like a five-year-old, but people walked out with advanced concepts around data architecture. 
I mean, that's that's the whole idea, right? You you're drawing in effect your own triangle and circle and box while you're telling the story. You because people don't need unless they're looking to be entertained. They don't need the Marvel movie. Going back to what we began with our conversation with last time, if they're yeah. looking to be informed, like the what we're doing in a sales meeting. If people are there just to be entertained, that those people are going to be tough to reach. And you probably need to work a way around them in the account anyways. But if they're there because they actually are trying to solve a problem, they're trying to find information, they're trying to find some insight, they're trying to see if you care about them as a company, these are all concepts that you can do using basic shapes, storytelling, helping them draw connections, everything we've been talking about the last couple of episodes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... Uh... It's interesting. It's just we. The big thing I wanted to add is the difference, though, like between drawing those shapes. It's funny because if you visually look at what you're doing when you're drawing those triangles and shapes, and you're looking at that video we talked about, which did nothing but triangles and shapes. The difference there is you're providing the context. Yes. You're not letting them fill in their own context, so that the narrative of what you're trying to deliver again gets back to the point of that VP walking out going. A, B, C, D, right? And the IT guy going, yeah, A, B, C, D. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And all along the way, I mean, it's the the big thing for me that I, I want to make sure we don't miss is that people actually enjoy making connections themselves. Mm -hmm. And so you need to basically offer up the puzzle pieces that fit together the way you want them to. But give them the puzzle pieces. Don't give them the completed picture every time. Right. Allow them to figure out how stuff fits together. And that's where, as you said, Adam, that's how we're going to be able to have, you know, the the C-suite executive and the IT manager both being able to walk out of that room feeling like they've got meaning, they've got, they can see the value in their own way. Absolutely. Cool. This has been fantastic, Adam. Uh, really have appreciated this. We're going to be continuing this conversation next week with Matt Madden, as we mentioned at the start of the episode. So make sure you do tune in for that. And I would also love to hear your thoughts on this comment. Uh, if you disagree with Adam and I on some point, if you think there's something that we missed, if you found significant art and meeting out of the Hyder and, and Simmel animation, let us know in the comments. We'd love to continue the conversation with you there. This definitely is meant to be a book club we can all participate in. So hop over to YouTube. Uh, drop a note in the comments. Let us know what you think. Adam, before we end, we have to stop by the Demo Zone. So what have you got for us this week in the Demo Zone? Ah, the Demo Zone. This one's a fun one, or this one's actually uh, important. Uh, no matter where you do your meeting, I want to talk about breathing. And we talked about that last week, but I want to talk about the continuation of breathing, and that's called your diaphragm. In my uh, other professional world, I, uh, I am a musician. Um, you can see the little bass guitar -y thing there that's what I do that's what I play and uh, I'm with a bunch of guys that we all play music and a couple of them are singers they're very good singers and one particular one he is a uh, not show tunes but like musicals did a lot of musicals and stuff like that mm -hmm. and um, he always sings from his diaphragm and you speak from your diaphragm and what this talks about too the main point is is Learn how to stand to deliver your demos and you will sound 10 times more confident and 10 times more cleaner and clearer. Mm -hmm. You're expressing, when, when singers stand, when singers go into, into, and I know I'm sitting here, but when I demo, 
and I'm actually readjusting. I am standing pretty much sitting at a 90%. My back's not even touching my seat. Whenever I give any type of online meeting demo, I am at a minimum like this. Uh, whenever I, besides our demo jockey, because I can hear I can be the jockey and relax. <laughs> but uh, whenever I present, even if I'm doing PowerPoint and no clicky, I am standing in my office with my uh, Apple earbuds because that allows me to move around a bit. And they're excellent microphones and headphones, but not a plug for them, but more of a point to say that that allows me to stand up, have that full diaphragm, and have a better speaking voice and a cleaner, crisper delivery. That's why maybe investing in a standing desk or just trying to figure it out on your own is a great Highly way recommend go. it. Highly recommend it. Doing demos while standing, it, it makes a difference. It gives you more energy. It gives you more. As someone who studied theater for their undergraduate degree, I can tell you that how you stand, how you present, how you hold yourself comes through in the emotion of what your speaking voice sounds like. You get more energy in there, which goes a lot towards the enthusiasm we've been talking about as well. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Other than also, you're not going to forget what you're saying by getting too sleepy if someone starts to drone on in the meeting. Because <laughs> I think we've all been there, especially in virtual meetings. It's like, oh, I... I what, what, me? I dazed out. Oh, no. I was just asked a question. Oh, no. Yeah, I was checking email. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Could you repeat that question, please? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. The internet was breaking up. Uh... <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Uh, excellent stuff. Uh, also, before you go, check out demojockeys.com for more information, past episodes, all that. Adam, before we go, any final words or thoughts for this week? No, just uh, enjoy your meetings, enjoy your demos, and good luck, everybody. Excellent. We'll see you next week. Take care. See you next week.